So the Old Testament reading is from the book of Isaiah and it can be found on page 664 of the Church Bibles. And it's Isaiah chapter 14, verses 12 to 15. How you have fallen from heaven, morning star, son of the dawn. You've been cast down to the earth, you who once laid low the nations. You said in your heart, I will ascend to heaven. I will raise my throne above the stars of God. I will sit enthroned on the Mount of Assembly, on the utmost heights of Mount Saphon. I will ascend above the tops of the clouds. I will make myself like the Most High. But you are brought down to the realm of the dead, to the depths of the pit. Then let's turn to the New Testament, Luke Chapter 10, verses 1 to 24, and it can be found on page 983. Jesus sends out the 72. After this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them two by two ahead of him to every town and place where he was about to go. He told them, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. Go, I am sending you out like lambs among wolves. Do not take a purse or bag or sandals, and do not greet anyone on the road. When you enter a house, first say, peace to this house. If the head of the house loves peace, your peace will rest on that house. If not, it will return to you. Stay there, eating and drinking, whatever they give you, for workers deserve their wages. Do not move around from house to house. When you enter a town and are welcomed, eat what is set before you. Heal those there who are ill and tell them, the kingdom of God has come near to you. But when you enter a town and are not welcomed, go into its streets and say, even the dust of your town we wipe from our feet as a warning to you. Yet be sure of this, the kingdom of God has come near. I tell you, it will be more bearable on that day for Sodom than that for that town. Woe to you, Chorazin. Woe to you, Bethsaida. For if the miracles that were performed in you had been performed in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago, sitting in sackcloth and ashes. But it will be more bearable for Tyre and Sidon at the judgment than for you. And you, Capernaum, will be lifted up to the skies. No, you will be going down to the depths. Whoever listens to you, listens to me. Whoever rejects you, rejects me. But whoever rejects me, rejects him who sent me. The seventy-two returned with joy and said, 
Lord, even the demons submit to us in your name. He replied, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. I have given you the authority to trample on snakes and scorpions and to overcome all the power of the enemy. Nothing will harm you. However, do not rejoice that the spirits submit to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. At that time, Jesus, full of joy through the Holy Spirit, said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you've hidden these things from the wise and learned and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for this was your good pleasure. All things have been committed to me by my Father. No one knows who the Son is except the Father, and no one knows who the Father is except the Son, and those to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Then he turned to his disciples and said privately, Blessed are the eyes that see what you see. For I tell you that many prophets and kings wanted to see what you see, but did not see it, and to hear what you hear, but did not hear it. This is the word of the Lord. Art. My prayer this morning is that the Lord might reveal um, himself through his holy word to us that we might glimpse something that we haven't glimpsed before, that we might see something of Jesus that we haven't noticed before. This morning, um, B and Iona have played out in front of our eyes what this series, Ready to Resist, is, is really all about. In being baptised, they were, by the work of the Holy Spirit, made new in Christ through being submerged in the water of baptism. It was a joyous moment of grace where God did something wonderful in B and Iona's life that he had previously done for his own son, Jesus. And the prayers surrounding the baptism talk about turning from sin, renouncing evil, and an intention to follow Jesus. The language of a journey from darkness to light is played out. And so we begin to realise three things. That the devil is real and active. Baptism and discipleship are not passive, but an active uh, resistance of evil and sin. Secondly, through the cross, Jesus has won uh, the victory of sin, the world and the devil. This is not a marriage of equals. Jesus has won and crucially goes on winning. And this throughout everything that we say in this series is foundational. Everything that you think of as you go into the weeks ahead is connected into this foundational truth that there is a real struggle between living for God and living under the forces of evil, but that struggle is one. Jesus 
wins. And the third thing is that we have choices to make. B and Iona have made a significant choice this morning to be baptized. It's an acute moment in time where we see God's grace work powerfully. They publicly affirm their faith in Christ and resolve to live as Christians within the church. But the journey to this point of baptism and in their lives which follow are also significant. Their decision today that they profess to um, turn away from sin, to renounce evil and to follow Jesus Christ is, is a conscious decision that will be played out hundreds and thousands of times in their lives each day as they try and live for Christ. And, and we too, if we're going to be active in resisting um, the forces of evil in our world and turning away from sin, and if we're going to be actively living for Christ, we have to um, face that same challenge to intentionally choose um, um, to intentionally choose to be for Jesus in decisions that we have to make, um, in actions that we have to take in our behavior. It's an active choice. It's not a passive one. Not just at our baptisms, but in our day-to-day lives, hundreds of times a day, we are faced with this decision of what do we do? And allowing that decision, those actions to be framed by an intentionality around resisting the work of evil, around um, resisting the forces um, that tempt us into sin, and um, and the Holy Spirit revealing Jesus to us is going to be important in each one of those decisions. Um, so over the next few weeks, we're going to be looking at this a bit more. Chris is going to look at the armor of God next week and some practical tools to help you make those decisions to be for Christ in all um, in all situations. But today I want to focus on why the battle is won even when we don't feel like it, because our lives can be so messy, can be so um, challenging at times. So just a note on the series title as we get started. Um, We're calling this series Ready to Resist. We're intentionally not calling it um, Spiritual Warfare because of recent events that you've seen in the news. And so as a team, we took the decision um, that we would use the language of Ready to Resist because we just felt that the language of warfare um, in the current um, climate um, is unhelpful. Recent terrorist incidents have claimed the lives of real people and injured many more, but Paul, in the book of Ephesians, makes clear what our struggle as Christian people is about. So in Ephesians 6, verse 12, we read, For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. So our struggle is not against individuals, but against the powers of darkness and the forces of evil. And our starting point in this series is the cross. This reveals something of the way in which we are to challenge darkness and evil. If you imagine yourself in the first century as Jesus was being tried, arrested, and taken to Golgotha, um, and you were part of the crowds seeing what was happening, 
you wouldn't be thinking, there is the King of Kings and Lord of Lords going to his ultimate statement of victory. That's not what you would likely be thinking. You'd be thinking, there's another person who's been outspoken. There's another criminal who's been tried and is going to be crucified, publicly shamed. And it's that, it's that irony of the cross, that mystery of the cross, that the ultimate statement of Christ's true victory over sin, the world, and the devil, the ultimate statement by which we are allowed to enter into resurrection life, is perceived as a statement of defeat. It's such a countercultural way of bringing salvation into the world, and it stands in that sort of biblical tradition that we've been exploring over the last two months, where we've been looking at the Beatitudes, and we think about statements like, blessed are the merciful, for they will receive mercy. Blessed are the peacemakers. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. These countercultural statements that in a world full of our ambition and attempts at gain and, and prominence, we are taught, we are, we are shown such a different way of living that in the eyes of the world doesn't seem to make sense but is the pathway for us as Christian people to life. So let's turn to the first of our two passages this morning from the prophet Isaiah. This passage, um, actually um, Isaiah prophesied this to the king of Babylon, um, but um, it tells us really about the fall of the devil. And so if you want to turn to that passage, um, Neil will just put the um, Bible reading slide back on the screen so you have the reference. This passage tells us about how Satan fell as an archangel who had been described in glorious terms as the morning star, the sun of the dawn. The passage doesn't just tell us of Satan's fall, but also why. And it's in the knowing the why that we discover something that can help us to turn from sin, renounce evil and follow Christ. Satan's heart, you see, was concerned with gain. So let's look together at verses 13 and 14 in the Bibles around you. You said in your heart, I will ascend to the heavens. I will raise my throne above the stars of God. I will sit enthroned on the mount of assembly, on the utmost heights of the mountain. I will ascend above the tops of the clouds. I will make myself like the most high. Satan's desire was to be God, to establish a throne that in the words of the scripture uh, went beyond um, the stars of God. And this was the reason for his downfall. Part of our ability to to turn from sin, to renounce evil and follow Christ is to have such a surpassing view of God's goodness, of God's glory, of his character that neither in our hearts nor our minds can we um, perceive of or wish for something else. It's why we started the year looking at the character of Jesus for two months. 
because we wanted to frame the year with an understanding of the goodness of God and the goodness of Christ. And we wanted to understand what was so glorious about Jesus that we wouldn't want to follow in our discipleship anyone else. And I think um, part of being ready to resist evil, to engage in this battle between good and evil, is to have such a glorious view of the work of God, such a culture of giving thanks for his work in our lives, such an understanding of his character and the character of Jesus Christ that we don't even wish for anything else. We, we don't wish to establish a throne or a kingdom that surpasses God because we know that not to be possible. Satan's heart was in the wrong place. Elsewhere, in um, another prophet, in the book of Jeremiah, and chapter 17, we read these words. The heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Who can understand it? I, the Lord, search the heart and examine the mind to reward each person according to their conduct and according to what their deeds deserve. So let me ask you a question to ground this for you this morning. Where is your heart this morning? Is it for the Lord and for his ways? Or is it concerned with gain and ambition? The question almost becomes a sort of useful litmus test for us in our resistance of the devil and his schemes in any decision we take and any choice we make that we ask, where is my heart in this situation? What motivation am I acting with? And if you think back a few weeks to that beatitude, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, uh, for um, they will see God. I quoted that scripture correctly. But certainly blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. And we said that it's not just about um, the what we aim for, but about the how. So that marriage of hungering and thirsting for God, but also setting our focus on God, are critical in trying to live lives for Jesus Christ. So let's ask that question in our daily living. Where is my heart in any given decision, choice? Or situation. And in asking that question honestly, with humility, with self-awareness, you can, you can allow yourselves to be open to the healing power of God's Holy Spirit. In the book of Joel, in chapter 2, we read these words. Yet even now, declares the Lord, Return to me with all your heart and with fasting, weeping and mourning and rend your heart and not your garments. Now return to the Lord your God for he is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in loving kindness and relenting of evil. So much of what I understand uh, when we talk about the armour of God is about protecting the work that God has done in our minds and in our hearts and the decisions that we make flow from that renewed mind and renewed heart in Christ. And protecting ourselves from all distractions is, is part of that journey. So I want to say two things before I close this reflection. First of all, we need to cling to the words that we read in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 17. 
Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come, the old has gone, the new is here. Yes, and amen for B and Iona, baptized this morning, reborn as children of God. And yes, and amen for you and I too. We stand in Christ as the children of a loving, gracious, heavenly Father who offers us his protection and the Holy Spirit so that we can turn from sin, renounce evil and follow his son Jesus. So here's the point. We're going to get it wrong quite often. But we're not defined by that wrongdoing, but by our status and identity as children of God. This is so central to the Christian life and to our growing in in our relationship with Jesus. Who you believe yourself to be, who you believe yourself to be at the very core of your being, will inevitably show through in your patterns of thought, in your decisions, and in your actions. Who you believe yourself to be in the very core of your being will inevitably shine, will inevitably reveal itself in your decisions, in your patterns of thinking, and in your actions. And so the invitation of God in baptism to be and Iona and to all of us who are baptised and to all of us who are not baptised, you're just as welcome, is to understand that in the very core of our being, we are children of the living God. And we have a heavenly Father who loves to lavish gifts on his children. That is our identity in Christ And it is the nature of our relationship with the Father who longs to love us. So what do you believe? Who do you believe you are at the very core of your being, being this morning? And the second and final point. We stand on the authority given to us by God And we read of this authority in our gospel reading this morning from Luke chapter 10 and um, in verse 19 specifically. I have given you authority to trample on snakes and scorpions and to overcome all the power of the enemy. Nothing will harm you. One point I want to make here, which is um, sometimes we don't exercise the authority which is given to us. Uh, I'm not even talking in, um, in terms of the passage right now, but sometimes in a managerial context, if you have a particular role within an organization or if you have a particular role in your family, um, you, you might have a position of power or authority um, which has been given to you to exercise And either for reasons of conflict avoidance or for reasons of not wishing to expend energy um, or being fearful, we run away from standing on the authority that's been given to us. And we don't exercise that uh, which is ours to exercise. I hope that makes sense. 
uh, because what I'm going to say now is that Christ, God, has given us the authority to stand on the truth of his promises, that, um, that we have all power to trample upon evil and sin, that we have um, the assurance from Scripture that no harm can come to us. And so I want to encourage you to stand on that authority and in the choices you make day to day and in the actions and with, with the encounters with others that you, that you come across, not only ask the question, where is my heart in this situation? Um, and what would be a godly response? But also, do I stand on the authority of Scripture that the temptation to sin, that the invitation to be involved in something we know to be wrong, that we have the authority in Scripture and from God um, to refuse to get involved in activities that we know to be part of the devil's schemes. Because God has given us authority over all the power of the enemy. And so in all situations where we would otherwise um, give in, run away, ignore, let's make decisions that stand on the authority of God's promise to us. Can I just lead us in prayer? Because I realize I've shared a lot of um, serious stuff. Um, We've been feeling as we've been planning this series that um, it was going to be a heavy um, set of topics to explore, um, but an important set of topics to explore. So I wondered if we could just use those words of scripture, those words from Joel chapter 2, as, as a way of just allowing you some time, just in the stillness of your own heart and mind, to confess or uh, to bring before God whatever... Um, you have on your mind or in your heart, uh, which particularly needs to be held before him. Um, so let me read these words to you again. Let's be still together. Yet even now declares the Lord, return to me with all your heart and with fasting, weeping and mourning and rend your heart and not your garments. Now return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, abounding in loving kindness and relenting of evil.